0: Welcome to Let's Hear It.
1: Let's Hear It is a podcast for and about the field of foundation and nonprofit communications, produced by its two co hosts, Eric Brown and Kirk Brown. No relation.
0: Well said, Eric. And I'm Kirk.
1: And I'm Eric.
0: The podcast is sponsored by the Communications Network and the Lumina
1: Foundation. We're talking to people about their work and what's happening in the field with the hopes of making this growing arena just a little bit more accessible to us all.
0: You can find Let's Hear It on any podcast subscription platform. You can find us on Twitter at Let's Hear It Cast, and you can email us at hello at Let'sHearItCast.com.
1: Let us know if you have any thoughts about what you hear today, including people we should have on the show.
0: And if you like the show, please, please, please rate us on Apple Podcasts so that more people can find us.
1: So let's get on to the show.
0: And welcome in. We're back for another episode of Let's Hear It. We're so glad to have you with us, our Let's Hear It listeners. We hope you're being safe. We hope you're staying physically distant while you're reaching out socially. And Mr. Brown, I reach out to you with open arms here for another additional. Let's hear it.
1: Hey, man. How are you?
0: You know, I'm hanging in over here. How are you doing? Are you hanging
1: in? Are you staying safe? I, I am staying safe. I'm distancing socially as opposed to socially distancing. Kristen Grimm just noted uh, that, that item the other day is that messaging is everything. By talking about distancing socially we talk about it in a different way than social distancing just a thought
0: there it is Remain remain physically distant but re- in fact i would say reach out be the one who makes the call yeah. reach out be in touch with people don't have to do this on your own that's for sure um So we've had a chance to capture some special content recently, and what are we about to listen to, Mr. Brown?
1: Yeah, so this week, this is, uh, I don't even know what day it is. It is the 27th of March, and I think we're going to put this episode up this afternoon. Uh, This week, the Communications Network, which has been doing a series of really good and interesting um, webinars, to help people who are you know, communications folks understand what's happening and learn how to communicate about it. Did a terrific, terrific webinar with Joanne Krell of Defy Communications. Joanne is an old colleague of mine from the Communications Network Board. And among other things, Joanne was the head of communications in the United States for General Motors before she went to the Kellogg Foundation. And so she brings an understanding of crisis communications and business communications and an understanding of how philanthropy communications people are looking at their work. So she's it's this extraordinary, I don't know, an alloy of, of business <laughs> and philanthropy and social impact communications. And she led a webinar about crisis communications, but also uh, just an understanding about how to lead a team in an organization. A real conversation about leadership in this time.
0: Well, it's an extraordinary time. The Communications Network continues to do terrific work um, in this moment, and it's just what a treat to be able to listen to folks like this. So should we give this a listen, Eric, and then we'll come back and we'll chat a bit after?
1: Yep, let's do that. Ooh, and I almost forgot. The webinar is led by Sean Gibbons, who's the CEO of the Communications Network, Uh, and so he... Does a little bit. He introduces Joanne, and then she does a presentation. They take a quick break, and then they come back with some questions and answers from the audience. So you'll first hear from Sean Gibbons, and then Joanne Krell. And now here we go.
2: Uh, we are grateful to have Joanne Krell from Defy Communications. Former Vice Chair of the Communications Network Board, also worked at General Motors as the Executive Director. Of corporate communications, and before that was vice president for communications at, or vice president of communications, excuse me, at the WK Kellogg Foundation. She's presently the uh, co-founder and managing partner, uh, or co-managing partner, at Defy Communications, based in Ann Arbor, Michigan. She's going to be with us in just a quick minute to talk to us about leadership communications. I want to start actually, and this is where I have to kind of change my tone because I have to share some bad news with you folks, or some very, very sad news. Uh, our friend Marlo Stoudemire who, if you live in the Detroit region, recently presented, not so recently, just want to caution everybody, back in December of 2019, Marlo was with us presenting at the Network local group up in Detroit. The Detroit group hosted him. Uh, Marlo uh, passed away yesterday uh, from complications related to COVID-19. He was 43 years old and leaves behind two kids. And that's just tough to have to share with you. It's not a happy thing i'm afraid we might have to talk about this a little bit more over the coming days um uh, our hearts go out to marlo and his family and everybody in the detroit community and especially the common network local group in detroit uh jack and uh, krista and uh, natalie and all the other folks there this is tough news uh with that i'm going to go ahead uh and i'm sorry to do it under these circumstances but pass it on to my Good friend and mentor and colleague, uh, Joanne Krell. who's going to talk to us a little bit about how we can all uh, serve our communities in really effective ways in the coming days uh, when news like this continues to come at us, probably with greater acceleration. So buckle up, hang with us, uh, and we'll take your questions at the end. So thank you, Joanne. Take it away.
3: Thank you, Sean. And I appreciate the introduction and being here to talk about leadership communications in a crisis particularly how your values can help guide you through it. And it's a heartbreak about Marlowe and just a devastating situation everywhere. So um, let's turn and um, dig in together on letting your values guide you through a crisis. Uh, On the agenda, uh, thanks Tristan, we are, um, first of all, this is a really difficult and unusual time. Never before have we faced a crisis quite like this one. And the roles that we play as communicators are central to helping our organization get through this period. It's also one thing to be working on this and doing all the things and thinking that support your organization outside of the crisis, and another to be doing that while personally affected, as we just saw. And this crisis will get bigger, um, but even at this level, You're working remotely, you're facing new things that you haven't faced before. Chances are good, we will feel the effects of this personally um, more and more each day. So while we can, it's a good time for us to get on solid footing with how we can help our leaders and our organizations, those we support and those we count on, how we can help them all get through this crisis. Today, we're gonna talk about what's important when communicating now, what people need and how we'll help deliver that and how to ride out this storm. And here's a spoiler alert. (laughs) You can count on hearing, listening more, communicating early and often with transparency and compassion. Those are gonna be the things that guide us through this time. I've got some advice for leaders uh, that you as communicators can give to them, some best practices and why having and owning the narrative is really important. And we'll touch on the opportunities that are born from crisis. So let's go forward and talk about why COVID-19 is so different. Now, for better or for worse, um, working in big organizations and institutions has given me a seat, and I imagine the same is true for many of you, at the table for some pretty dramatic crises. Plane crashes, plant closings, major multinational company bankruptcy, hostile takeovers, organizational theft and crime, are just a few of the ones that um, I've had to see that. And they all shared a relatively common arc. There was a beginning, there was an end, and in between there was a need to get the facts, communicate the ugliness, apologize, put a rectification plan in place, and prove you were walking the talk. But with COVID-19, we're dealing with a truly unprecedented situation. It's hard to imagine that any of us have seen anything quite like this. Even those of you that routinely work on major global, global health crises probably haven't had the magnitude of this problem along with the simultaneous personal threat. This is really different. And as we've seen the disruption to millions of people's lives, the fear and discomfort and the economic damage is already significant. And the loss of human life is of course devastating. So unlike other crises that organizations experience, it's not based on something an organization did, and at the same time, it's impacting all of us, more so than 9-11 or the global economic collapse. Because of that, we're wise to behave differently. There's no predefined crisis plan that we can use. We'll have to rely on both the heart and the head, behaviors and mindsets. And these behaviors and mindsets will keep us from chasing what we heard in favor of focusing on what we believe in and where we're going. Next slide. Thank you. Um, You know, how we behave in a crisis is really important. Leaders are under enormous pressure. They feel a huge responsibility for their employees, for their grantees, their investees, their donors, the communities in which they work and to their boards. Who knows what major things were already on their plates, what weights they were carrying before this hit. Um, But now everything is that much heavier, that much more difficult. And at the same time, they're living this too. Their parents, their siblings, their children, their friends, and they are relied on by many people. Some of our leaders have had a great deal of experience dealing with crises, large and small. But for others, that's just simply not the case. This is, a, this is a completely new experience. So number one, communicating is a must. Early, often, calmly, transparently, and with compassion. And with a hopeful and optimistic lens on the future. And listening to learn and to maybe what you don't want to hear are essential. So for communicators, what your organization believes and the actions it takes are really the primary elements that you have to deal with, that you have to work with. But it is also true that you can play a critical role helping to shape the decisions that are getting made. You bring your knowledge of constituents, both internal and external, the landscape, and your ability to gather information and share it in a way that influences outcomes. In this way, you can, um, you can lead from the side and how we behave in this pandemic can and should be linked to our organizational values. And here's why. Probably every person on this call has spent lots of time, lots of effort, and lots of the organization's money on defining your mission, your values, and your vision. These values define who you are and how you will behave in the world. And if there's anything I'd want you to take away from our conversation today, It's that it's your values that you can and should always return to, to define your actions, guide your judgments and lead your behaviors. They were most likely developed when you weren't in any kind of a crisis and they probably have great consensus within your organization. So these can be inordinately helpful, keeping you centered and keeping your messages focused. So let's talk about where we should focus. I don't know about you, but I have seen some incredible examples of excellent communications already. Really beautiful, heartfelt, clear letters about the coronavirus, tips for how to manage, excellent language about flattening the curve, washing hands and keeping socially distant while socially connected. I just don't know if I also need to hear that though from Bell Tire and my local juice bar. This isn't a time for brand building. It's a time for everyone to play their position well. So to that end, I would say focus your communications on those who are looking to you for critical information. For certain, that's employees first. Internal communications is really the most important for information, for morale, for trust. But up next, grantees, investees, if you're an impact investing organization, donors, partners, communities, boards, contractors, you are a primary and trusted source for them. And they're looking to you for information. So, so provide that to them and give them assurance, connection and encouragement. You know, people in the social sector are so good about meeting people where they are. I'm certain actually that it is this sector that realized the criticality of that first but with real and heightened vulnerabilities, meeting people where they are is essential. So once you're clear about your audiences, then you can use the communication strategies, tools, and tactics that you often rely upon and that are most um, most appropriate to the situation. If you have stories to tell that can help others by sharing key information on how you're granting and decisions you're making, particularly true at the community level, but at other levels as well, if these can be helpful for replication and other communities or with other funders, then by all means, take your storytelling public. Um, I wanna turn and talk about what we specifically can do as communicators during this time. So Tristan, if we could go to the next slide. Um, I imagine many of you have this in place already, uh, but if not, probably the single most important thing that you could do to help your organization right now is put a crisis communications team in place. You need a central group to make decisions and to direct communications and to take the pressure off the rest of the organization so that everyone else can focus on the work at hand. This is definitely not a time to let the speed of information outrun your ability to make decisions. This team shouldn't be too big. Should be a handful of people, a dedicated crisis leader, the head of HR, the head of comms, someone who represents the core business like programming. Um, And this group should report to the CEO. You should meet regularly every day, probably first of the day and last of the day. Should identify who's responsible for what. For communicators, that could be bringing information to the meetings, have a recommended and first draft of the days or weeks communications to different constituents and when they should go. You all as a team should commit to frequent communications. You should identify responsibilities that different groups in the organization will take on in the crisis. You should be the primary source of information about what the organization is doing. You should commit to listening and to developing and to communicating, I'm sorry, and to communicating calmly, transparently, compassionately, and confidently. And we recommend that you develop a rapid response process in place to respond to rumors and to realities. Determine how you'll manage when the crisis hits close to home, keeping in mind privacy considerations. As things ramp up and get more intense, this team serves a really critical role in helping the organization survive and move past the day-to-day flashpoints. If we can go to the next slide, thank you. Thank you, Tristan. Um, As communicators, there's a number of things that we can do, but one of the most important is to help help your leadership see the criticality of internal communications and prioritizing employee audiences. And in the social sector, that's not always the first place that institutions put their attention. But in this time, it really is important. The Gallup organization says that a key predictor of low worry and high confidence is whether each employee believes and experiences that the organization is looking out for their best interest. Regular communications go a long way to helping people feel assured, connected, and encouraged and finding ways to hear from employees is equally important as speaking to them. You could do one-to-one calls from leaders to employees. You could set up a buddy system, connecting more seasoned employees with newer ones. You could create small groups via Zoom to have coffee chats between leaders and staffers. The important thing is to listen, sometimes the things that are difficult and painful to hear. And also when you have a sense of the morale, you can, if the opportunity is available to you, put it to practice some boosters. For some organizations, that will be a membership to calm. For others, it could be using virtual dance party to open a meeting or put a break into the meeting. You can share res- resources for kids and for cooking, for pets and for conference calls. You might think about standing up a, f- a private face group page or an Instagram channel for your organization to have social time. Whatever channels your organization uses for internal communications are the best ones to use now. Your communications outbound should be in highly visible places. It's also true that organizations are no doubt making really difficult decisions. Don't shy away from explaining them. Within the limits that you might need to follow, explain how you made them and why. And as often as is reasonable, reassure people. Even if the news is bad now, there will be a time when it gets better, and that message delivered with confidence needs to be part of the message framework. A dose of optimism is vital. By encouraging and connecting and reassuring people, what you're really doing is empowering them to make the best decisions possible in a really difficult time. Next slide. Um, After you focus on employees, the next most important audience is your primary stakeholders. That could be grantees, it could be funders, it could be investees, Um, but no matter who this audience is, it has to be, your communications has to be about them. Again, honesty and transparency rule the day here. As hard as it can be to share what is changing, you owe it to them to do that. And there may be ways that they can help you see another solution. Communicate what you need and what you're doing, and offer ideas for how to get through this crisis. Communicators can play a vital role by having their finger on the pulse through networks and stories, and can share those with leadership and across the organization. And keep in mind, a good idea can come from anywhere. So be listening for where you can help shape and influence decisions. Next slide. As we continue to go through this period of time, there will very likely be another wave to this crisis. And this time, it could be a lot harder. Now I know yesterday, a lot of us heard that when the Easter bunny arrives in a couple of weeks, this crisis might very well be over, but I'm not sure most of us believe that's true. So have a plan in place for your communications team in in how you would react if things do start getting tough in your organization, if people do start getting sick or worse. Be helping the organization get ready for crises that haven't hit yet. Contingency plans are excellent to have in place. The crisis team may hopefully, may um, have developed a rapid response plan, but you'll want a way for media to be able to connect with the organization and to know who to go to and how. And again, Keep in mind privacy considerations. This is gonna become more important as as different scenarios present, and not all of them have been foreseen. So know that you need to be agile and nimble and have a number two team in place that can step up as people, even if they're well, they're gonna be tired, they're gonna be fatigued from the crisis process. It takes its toll after a while. And you need to bring fresh blood into the process and cycle out people who are showing effects of of wearing. Next slide, please. Gallup recently conducted a poll on leadership communications. It was really interesting. It showed that global citizens look to leaders to provide a path and to provide confidence that there's a way forward that they can contribute to. Human nature dictates that people respond to crisis in one of two ways. They either sort of turtle up and um, kind of get caught up in fear, victimization, or helplessness, completely understandable in in this day, or some people really blossom. They feel self-actualized. It leads to greater engagement. They're their best in a crisis. But no matter which group of people you're dealing with, or likely both of them, people have four universal needs from their leaders. They need trust. They need compassion, they need stability, and they need hope. So to help facilitate that, we want to share some advice that you could share with your leaders. You know, as a communications team, people will be looking for you to how to manage the situation and what to say and what to do and what not to do. And you don't need to be the chief communicator to be relied upon. Frankly, it's ideal if the communications team speaks with a unified voice about what's important. So spend some time with your fellow communicators, making sure that you all have messages and approaches that are aligned and agreed to. Here are a few things that matter most as you give advice to your leadership. Leadership starts from the top, but it's not command and control. In fact, leaders of every team and function will likely want to communicate and they should. And you can help them bring clarity, compassion, empathy, and optimism to their communications. And you can also help them be concise. Communication is like oxygen for leaders. And everyone needs to be doing a lot of deep breathing right now. Leaders at every level need to be visible. Despite the dual hardship they carry of leading through a crisis while they're in it themselves, they have to be available and accessible to their teams. But since there's no leadership by walking around, a really nice way to connect is to have leaders share the responsibility of checking in with everyone in the organization by phone or Zoom. Balance the heart and the head. But in this case, the heart leads. Start with empathy and compassion. And while I don't think it's hard for leaders to do that, I think they're really quite good, particularly in this sector, at starting from a place of empathy and compassion they might not be so great about accepting empathy. As one um, global management consulting expert says, as stress, fatigue, and uncertainty build up during a crisis, leaders might find that their judgment, might find that their abilities to process information, to remain level-headed, and to exercise good judgment diminish. They'll stand a better chance of countering functional declines if they encourage colleagues to express concern and heed the warnings they're given. Investing time in their well-being will enable leaders to sustain their effectiveness over the weeks and the months that a crisis can entail. People also need an outlet to share their thoughts with leadership and with their peers. There are a ton of good ideas for creating a greater sense of community and camaraderie. Here are a couple of ones that I like. Gather for coffee chats and shared lunches. Take a walk outside while chatting with a colleague by phone. Phone call to folks on your team to ask them how they're doing or hear what's on their mind or supports their efforts, it's time well spent. Bring your kids, your partners and your pets to work by remote. At some point, it's probably unavoidable And I know that I have uh, read a number of very funny stories about people unavoidably (laughs) showcasing their, their family. So maybe create a bespoke meeting to create that familiarity. And you might also want to create a private Facebook group or stand up an Instagram channel for your organization to communicate, share photos, and just have some fun. As a leader, if you don't tell your organization's story, somebody else will. So be really careful about that. Gossip and rumor can fill in when there's fear. Even if you don't have every fact and every contingency, and you won't, it's much better for you to communicate what you can and be honest where you don't have answers. If you stay ahead by communicating clearly and frequently, it doesn't allow for an absence to be filled by somebody else. Tell people how you've come to the decisions you've made. Again, your organization values are the guideposts for those decisions, so lean on them. Share information widely and in highly visible ways. And if you have an intranet, it's a perfect tool to use now. You might need to resend a password reset to everyone and maybe offer a tutorial on how to use it if it's not a frequented channel, but that's time well spent. Use what you've got. So early, um, when I first started talking to you all, I talked about this notion of leading from the side. And at Defy, we talk about leading from the side quite a bit. It's a recognition that communicators have a leadership role to play in service to the organization. It means that you don't get out in front of the organization, but you also can't lag behind. You wanna be there for takeoff and touchdown. It's based on relationships and agility, knowledge and know-how. And as a communicator, you can influence and shape the direction of the organization. So here's some best practices for for leading from the side in a crisis. First, bring a keen sense of the landscape, facts and data, an understanding of how different constituents are feeling, a sense of where opportunity exists, a strong connection to the organization's values, and ways to help shape decisions based on knowledge and acumen. Be a reliable source of information, but never freelance it. I cannot overemphasize how important it is not to make guesses at this time. Be accessible and be flexible. Honor and maintain confidentiality. Also super critical. You either have information that others don't or people think you do. Either way, perception is reality. Don't try to correct the record on something if the information you have is still confidential. Instead, having heard rumor or wrong information, share it with the crisis team and make it an urgent item to address through an official communication. Act as a dual advocate. You represent the outside world in and you represent the inside world out. There's few people in your organization who have a better sense of constituents and how they're thinking and feeling in crises than you. You always have an audience focus and that is so important as a top flight communicator. And lastly, anticipate and navigate. This is gonna be actually anticipation and navigation will follow you through everything that you do in communications, but now more than ever, pay attention to what's going on outside of your organization and see where it can be useful to what's going on inside of your organization. Now, as, as communicators, we frequently obsess over narratives, What's the story? How are we going to tell it? How are we going to use our influence to move the narrative? How can we own the day? Um, Because this situation doesn't look like it will abate anytime soon. And we know that in the social sector, we often feel lagging effects of the economy. It is really important for you to establish a narrative now. Help your leadership take control of the narrative. Help them be clear about current realities, what you don't know, what you believe the positive picture can be when this, is at, when this whole experience ends. Leaders that stay connected to the people they support will do a great service for others and be rewarded with a stronger relationship going forward. I urge you to make that a high priority in your communications And finally, I just want to say this. We've all heard many times that in crisis, there is opportunity. It is absolutely true. Undoubtedly, we're gonna learn a lot from this crisis. Business will very likely change. There are so many opportunities to learn, to sense and to respond and to see new ways of doing old things. I believe we'll change how we work. We'll value our time differently. We may see employees and internal communications and culture as far more vital to our overall functioning and the importance of connecting with one another in authentic ways. Communicators far too often, and for reasons that have long confounded me, are misunderstood in their organizations. But now we have an opportunity to play a pivotal role in, or- in helping organizations not just survive this crisis, but come out of the other side stronger. Your strategic thinking, your calm under pressure, your ability to translate the complex into the meaningful and easy... Your innovative ideas and approaches are opportunities to build understanding for the strategic nature, value and contributions of communications. Now this morning, I received a note that included this story that I'd like to share. In the 17th century, the great plague of London sent Isaac Newton, then in his twenties, back home from Trinity College in Cambridge to the family estate. While there for a year, he did some of his best work in mathematics and his study of gravity. And this reminds us that while the natural tendency of many may be to quote, just survive, the innovators will thrive. If Sir Isaac Newton's remote work produced such genius then and given what we're seeing in the world's unique experiment now, who knows what great things will happen as organizations reconsider culture and how work gets done. So that's all for me. I'd love to take questions and hear what's on your mind. Thanks so much.
1: You're listening to Let's Hear It, a podcast about foundation and nonprofit communications hosted by Kirk Brown and Eric Brown. Let's Hear It is sponsored by the Communications Network, which connects, gathers, and informs the field of leaders working in communications for good. Because foundations and nonprofits that communicate well are stronger, smarter, and vastly more effective. You can find Let's Hear It online at Let'sHearItCast.com or on Twitter at Let's Hear It Cast. Thanks for listening. And now back to the show.
2: We have a bunch of questions. There's about 500 of us in the room. So if you have questions, and Alan and Christian, I thought I so saw you just put some in the chat. I'm not trying to call you all out, but if you wouldn't mind, put those in the Q&A box. That's where I'm looking. Uh, Piper has a question that a lot of you want to know. Will we send out this PowerPoint after the event? Yeah. Absolutely. We will. We will be sharing a video of this and we will put the slides up uh, on comnetwork.org probably within the next 24 hours. And we will make sure to share that out on social as well. Uh, so by all means, uh, you will see that and be uh, be our guest. Please do share that if it's helpful to anybody that's uh, time well spent, I think, uh, from our perspective. Uh, someone who decided to go anonymous, oh, come on, we're all friends here, uh, asked, given the market collapse and tremendous economic uncertainty, should not-for-profit foundations be hitting the pause button on fundraising activities. A lot of people want to know the answer to that. Joanne, what do you say? Should we uh, pause on the asks right now if you're a non for profit organization?
3: Uh, you may not be able to, is kind of the answer. Um, you know, look, people are gonna do what they can. I What I personally am seeing is that fundraising is going hyper-local. I was shocked to see and pleasantly surprised and happy to participate in the local bookstore in my Ann Arbor neighborhood, did a GoFundMe because they're at risk of going out of bis- out of business. And they are a much loved business in this town. And very quickly they raised, uh, I, when I last saw it last night, it was around $75,000. They were looking to raise a hundred, and they started in the morning. And I'm going to guess they made their goal. So I think people are focused hyper locally, but I don't, think you're in a position to stop your work, I think you have to be more thoughtful about how it's done. And the repetitive nature of it um, might need an adjustment, and the messaging for it might need an adjustment. There has to be a recognition that there is a crisis going on, but you, you may not be able to stop your fundraising efforts if it puts the work that you do supporting people and animals at risk.
2: Okay, next question comes from our friend Doretta, who asks, how can smaller organizations establish a crisis communications team? Can this be part of our existing leadership?
3: You know, it can be part of your existing leadership, but I worry that people have too many things on their plate and won't have enough distance to be able to manage the crisis. You don't have to have the title of chief to be on a crisis team, although somebody from the C-suite, somebody from the executive level should be on it, but you can have other people in it and playing that role. I think you need a team that basically has a ring fence around them and is somewhat protected from doing their normal day job, particularly in the beginning, because there are a lot of demands and you need people who are fresh and not overly fatigued um, by trying to do everything at once. So I don't think your whole leadership team should do it, I do think you should appoint a separate team. It doesn't need to be that big, but it, it does need to be focused.
2: Okay, next question comes from our friend Piper. How do you focus on the mission of your organization as you're communicating about the virus, really ensuring that your message is specific to the mission of your organization? So maybe just give you an example, Joanne. You're Chad Nelson, you're the CEO of the Surfrider Foundation. Most days you're thinking about ocean conservation. How do you talk to folks in light of the fact that the world is talking about COVID-19?
3: Look, we're gonna come out of this. Um, If we don't, none of this really will matter. So we are going to come out of this. We're gonna be probably working differently and doing different things. So it pays to be innovative now, but I don't think that you can stop the work that you're doing. I do think you have to be cognizant of really important flashpoints in the system. So on um if this were Lombardy Italy and you were seeing 6 or 700 deaths a day you might need to do a little bit of pausing but I don't think you're going to be able to back off of your work. You might need to get out with different messages, and different innovative ideas in how you are supporting the health of the of the nation, supporting the supporting the climate doing things that allow us to be able to live our lives just like the idea that a crisis team helps helps an organization be able to manage a crisis while still moving forward in their work institutions have to still be able to move forward in their work while groups are managing while health groups and government groups are managing crisis So I wouldn't abandon what you're doing. I would just move more thoughtfully with messaging and not pretend that something isn't going on. I think you have to work with the lens that there is very much a crisis going on and yet we have to save our oceans. We have to address reforestation. We have to provide for the most vulnerable among us. So I don't think you can stop what you're doing. You have to stay mission focused, but you have to take a slightly different approach.
2: And I might just, in, in the spirit of yes, and yes. I think it's also really essential for everybody to be keeping in mind one of the challenges that we're facing because this is an asymmetrical crisis. What it feels like in New York City is probably feeling a little bit different than it might, might be feeling like in Taos, New Mexico. I think it's really essential that one of the things we can all do, we've talked about this a little bit before in the last couple of weeks, is offer a signal boost. And what that means is amplifying the CDC the NIH. And to the extent that you can, get in touch with your local health departments or just pull information from them because they're awfully busy right now. But we're all getting information from lots of different vectors. It's a much more crowded information space than we were. In maybe ten years ago, and so your organization's voice as a trusted steward or, or member of your community can be really helpful. And you may not be, you may not realize—you may be the one who puts somebody in contact with information that saves a life. That's really an essential piece of work that you should be doing as well. Is finding ways to help people. Uh, we sent out with this invitation an example. California Healthcare Foundation out there in Oakland uh, has made it on their webpage now. Uh, several links to what they're calling external resources, which is links to the CDC. And the local California State Department of Health, Uh, if that ends up helping just two people uh, get information that they need, uh, that is incredibly helpful. We are a networked world right now, so I think a piece of responsibility we all carry is to make sure that we're helping other people get the word out. Does that sound right to you, Joanne?
3: For sure. I, I really agree. And also in the areas that are less hard hit, if you are targeting your communications as a nonprofit organization, those might be more fertile grounds for you to focus on.
2: Yeah, absolutely right. Okay, next question uh, coming in says, excuse me again, uh, a great many of the questions that we're fielding are about what will happen in June or in July or August. Obviously, we don't know. And we have to keep saying, we just don't know. No one knows. Is there any advice that you might have, Joanne, for a more skillful response?
3: (laughs) Um, I don't have a crystal ball, unfortunately. But the one thing you could do is you could set a date for which um, we will give you an answer on this date. I, I, sometimes a little more specificity helps uh, lower the temperature a bit. So if you can um, say, here are the three or four things we commit to do between now and X date, um, and you can check here for updates on our website or we'll communicate with you this way. I think in the, in the realm of reaching out to people, When they hear from you, they feel a little better. It doesn't mean that their questions go away. Um, There are just too many unknowns, but you can tell them, here's what we're doing. We're evaluating whether or not we can keep this on the schedule. If we do, we'll know by this date, we'll tell you then. Um, We will have a news update out that will address the following things. And if it turns out that we have to make a change if we decide to postpone, we'll let you know that. But if we decide to use a different methodology to keep the meeting going or something, we'll let you know how you can participate and what it means for you. And if you've, if you've done a deposit, we'll let you know when you're getting that back or what all the details are. But I think identify a date certain by which you can tell them and give them three or four things that you're going to tell them and then be good to your word and, uh, and do that.
2: Derek asks, uh, Joanne, you mentioned several organizations that were doing a really great job of communicating during this crisis. Can you please provide some specific examples? Um,
3: I I was afraid I was going to get that question when I said that I should have been ready for that one. Uh, I think I've seen a number of funders who have communicated proactively about what they're doing. I happen to have seen the Hilton Foundation's communication about how they were going to fund going forward. Um, I've seen Starbucks' outreach that I thought was really quite nice. Um, There's just been a a number. I'd be happy to come back with a sheet of resources of uh, things that I've seen that I thought were really good examples. But the thing that has struck me is how good the tone has been. and, and how much is open source right now? So I will come back with a few resources that could help uh, give you some language options and some ideas as you do your own communications.
2: And again, in the spirit of yes, and if you're not aware, the network has actually created an open source or collaborative document and Google Sheet that, that you can find on comnetwork.org. Uh The open source doc is giving you kind of a very brief primer on how to communicate just the very basics, mostly the stuff you know, but maybe it could be helpful to the boss. The Sheet is literally a collection of, and y'all are just amazing. It's incredible how kind and generous people are being in the middle of what is kind of a maelstrom. Uh, folks have been posting up examples of the communications they've been putting out. So if you're looking for examples, you can go to commnetwork.org and take a look at the Google sheet where you will find examples. And I think, uh, I don't know if I have the right to decree this, but I think that the rules around plagiarism are kind of off. If you need to grab some language in order to be efficient and effective, I don't think anyone's going to come chasing after you as long as you At some point, maybe send a note to the person you drafted and say, you did me a solid. Thank you so much. I brought some of your language. We used it in this way. It was really helpful. But suffice to say, you can find examples of work. And it's also the the team, Yabby, and did a wonderful job. They actually organized it so you can get a sense of whether it's an event cancellation, whether it's a message to grantees. So you can actually search for exactly what you might need. You can find that again at comnetwork.org. Nina asks... Uh, Joanne, is it best to stop all normal communications to external office uh, audiences, or is it okay to talk about the regular work of our organization during COVID?
3: I think it's okay to talk about the regular work as long as you're sensitive to what uh, could be conceived as inappropriate. And um, only you would know if there was something in a local environment where maybe you shouldn't comment on something, but work has to go on. I mean, this is a crisis but it's going to pass and people need to be engaged in the work that they're doing. Otherwise we're just going to be in a complete standstill. So you'll have to make some choices, but by and large, you shouldn't stop what you're doing. You should should keep the engine of productivity going. People need that.
2: Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I, I would add that uh, to Joanne's point about this being a time of An opportunity for innovation. I don't mean to sound crass, but if you think about a crisis that was sort of on the scale, maybe it was 9-11. And coming out of 9-11, we set a whole bunch of new narratives. We told ourselves a bunch of stories that shaped the way our society has evolved over the last 20 20 years or so, including just whole new industries emerged. Homeland security industry, the police department in Topeka, Kansas has a tank now. We've militarized the police. There were a bunch of narratives that emerged out of 9-11. Many of them, maybe not so good. I'll reserve judgment there. But suffice to say, uh, this is an opportunity for us to maybe reset as a society, maybe even as a globe. So be mindful that that's happening, whether we like it or not. You can certainly play a role there in some meaningful ways. Um, David asks a question here, Joanne. He says, my team is prone to perfectionism. (laughs) Nothing about that uh, in ordinary times. But now it seems to have kicked up a notch. How do you balance making things as good as they can be while also being fast and nimble and juggling a larger workload than normal? I feel like my team sometimes wastes time and energy on things that don't matter in the large scheme of a global crisis. What's your advice?
3: Yeah, I think your instinct is completely right. Um, For one, we should not let perfect be the enemy of really good. And stuff's got to get out the door. And so if you deliver, you know, the, the perfect document, but it's a day late, you know, the door could be shut. So don't do that. Do the best work you can do and get it out there. Um, we've got to make progress and you can't make progress if you're constantly niff-nulling over every little detail in it.
2: OK, next question. Uh, Joanne, how do we communicate to the staff that there may be pay cuts, layoffs and benefit cuts? due to financial uncertainty in the midst of a health crisis.
3: Yeah, that's a miserable experience that I've been through before. Um, This is one of these times where uh, earlier in the presentation part, I said, like, you know, essentially fill your bucket before somebody else does. If, If that could happen as quickly as possible, once that decision is made, communicate it. Be clear. Tell them why. Tell them what you're doing. And tell them that you, I mean, if this is the truth, tell them that you hope that after a certain period of time, when things level back off, benefits will be restored, salaries will be restored. I mean, oftentimes that does happen. Uh, At one point in my earlier GM career, uh, right before the global economic collapse, salaries were cut. And people were not happy and benefits were cut. And that had been coming for a long time. The 401k was being cut, the match was gone. At at the end of the day, having a job is really important. And so um, that's sort of number one. The leadership is probably doing everything it possibly can to protect the organization from having to, to take too much of a haircut. So communicate quickly, be transparent about why the decision had to be made. Be clear that other things will, um, there won't be discretionary spending, so that you won't be looking at, like, oh, why are we spending all our money on this retirement party while our salaries are being cut? You know, you have to get really careful about the decisions that you make and the judgments that you make. Um, but Explain it, probably explain in detail why how much of the salary, how much salaries and benefits are of the overall budget, and that the only way to stay afloat is to take this kind of a cut and the sacrifice is shared. It's really important that um, the leadership also has their has sacrifices to an equal or greater level um, than. The organization than the rest of the organization. But be clear, be fast, and let people know what it would take for for salaries and benefits to be restored. Don't let this linger for a long time in the ether without addressing it.
2: And just in the spirit to add on to that, just in the spirit of trying to be helpful, uh, an organization has recently been through something kind of like this, and that's the United States government. When they had the government shut down just, I believe it was just a year ago. So you may take some lessons there for what it's worth. I know, for instance, personally in our family, my wife works for the Environmental Protection Agency, and everyone uh, within that agency decided to donate a day a week that they would work without pay for a day. And in in order to do that, they did that because leadership was transparent. So we're gonna have to cut jobs rather than seeing a head head count cut Everybody decided to what they call donate a day. So there's some solutions out there if we go looking for them, maybe outside of our sector. Uh, next question, this one's going to be a doozy, Joanne. Uh, good luck with this one. Any recommendations on how to curb leadership that isn't staying on message? So an example here, uh, the HR or chief financial officer doesn't agree with decisions being made and counters what the CEO is communicating. What do you do?
3: Meaning that... That person is going off with one level of messaging and the CEO is going off. I believe
2: so. Yeah. So you have CEO saying one thing on the one hand, it's a left hand, right hand problem. And and CFO is saying something else.
3: ultimately it is the CEO's responsibility to get his and her direct reports aligned on the message. And I think the chief communications officer has to talk to the CEO about that and talk about what the risks are to the organization of mixed messaging uh, any time, but especially during uh, a heightened time like this, it is very unhelpful to have two leaders saying different things.
2: Okay, Bill asks Joanne any advice for small organizations. These are fewer than folks ten people on staff, and the concept of team and the ability to share the load within these kinds of organizations, where they're just smaller, it's just necessarily different. How do you manage that? Any yeah. special advice there?
3: Um. I can't imagine how hard that is for a teeny organization and Defy is a small firm, so I know (laughs) what that is like. But uh, uh, I think you have to be super transparent with your colleagues about what's at play, what's at stake and how you're gonna divide and conquer certain things. I think that's really the only thing you can do since not everybody can be in on everything. On the flip side, there's not so many people to communicate to that it isn't doable. So I think just really good partnership and making sure that you guys have time for connection um, and for encouraging one another and ways to breathe in within your organization. Um, small organizations really have to manage a lot and just making sure that you have really great intra-communications will help you get through this time more easily.
2: Allison has a great question. A lot of folks interested in the answer to this one, and it is Joanne. How do we tell stories of clients who are going to be hit hardest by all of this? Those who are living in poverty, they're going to be falling further into poverty while not walking away from ethical storytelling. Should we paint a picture of their real-life realities, even if we're not able to point to immediate su- successes or solutions?
3: Um. You're trying to save lives out there. You need to lift up the lived experiences of people in vulnerable communities. They cannot be silenced at this time. So I think you're in for some maybe more raw uh, storytelling, but it has to happen now. You you have to shine a light on those experiences in order to make change for them. After all, big corporations are going to get bailed out with billions of dollars. And you have to try to bring some balance to this picture and tell the stories of people who are suffering.
2: Okay, Sheldon asks a question, as an advocacy organization, so they're doing advocacy work, how can you keep the org mission, the organization's mission front and center without looking like you're taking advantage of the crisis? Um,
3: but, let me think about that for a second. Uh, Look, I don't know that you would be taking advantage of the crisis if your organization's mission is to help people who are in a difficult position. You, you Again, you have to tell their stories. I think you have to do it, though, in a way that doesn't take advantage of people. Um, you can't be exploitive. You've got to focus on those closest to you and make sure that um you're highlighting the issues and the opportunities that exist for these people, but, but don't do it in a way that, ex- not that I think that you would, but don't do it in a way that exploits them. Um, as, th- as this crisis goes on, we're gonna risk losing more people and um, having more people suffer. So if your mission is central to what is going on in this world, you have to tell those stories. You have to lift up people with lived experiences and make sure that that storytelling is happening, but not in a way that's exploitative.
2: And humble brag here: if you all need some resources on storytelling, uh, we have a number of them. If you go to storytelling. Uh, comnetwork.org. You'll find a website we created with our friends from Rockefeller and Hathaway Group uh, called Storytelling for Good. So, uh, a really nice primer, good information there uh, for folks who are interested in doing some storytelling. Uh, and we'll share that link in the chat. Also, you should know our friend Carrie uh, from the network team has put the links to that Google Doc and sheet that I mentioned earlier in the chat. So, you can find those links just there. Uh, Joanne, this is the, the $100,000 question of the day How do you balance being honest about the hard facts and scaring your audience?
3: um well how do you do it you put out there what is most important in order to address the audiences that you care the populations that you care most about and again i think you have to lift up people with lived experiences but you cannot exploit them so there is a line and i think you sort of know when you cross over it um, that that you have to get the facts out there and you have to tell stories in a way that are compelling. But you have to do it in a way that's respectful to the communities in which you're trying to uh, that you're trying to help. Um, I hope that answers your question. Uh, I, I suspect there's a a, um, a real concern that there's honesty um, taking place and that you're talking to employees in a way that feels um, l- legitimate and honest. And I think above all else, you have to treat people respectfully and making sure you're being honest and transparent and compassionate. And in that compassion, not stepping over the line to exploiting people in order to take advantage of um, where their heartstrings are at the moment.
2: Okay, Sarah has a question. A lot of folks interested in the answer to this one as well, Joanne. Everyone is sending out emails when we're doing that at the network. Is there a time where we shouldn't send out another email for the sake of not overwhelming people's inboxes?
3: Yeah, I think there is. I mean, that's, I think you have to only speak to the people who are closest to you and, and are looking to you for assurance or connection or encouragement or information. It's, it's kind of, um, Sometimes I do get emails from organizations and I think to myself, why are you telling me, You know, why Bell Tire are you telling me about how to wash my hands? I know I bought tires from you at one point, but this isn't really helpful to me. And so there's a line between not overwhelming people and being really thoughtful, Um, you know, by the volume of emails that are going into your own email boxes, just how much people can take it's definitely not a time for brand building. It just really isn't. I mean, reputation will accrue to the organizations that acted appropriately in this time. And so there is a level of restraint that is necessary. So don't overwhelm people by coming at them too often. If you have information that they need or encouragement that you know that they will benefit from or connection that will help get them through this time. I think those are good pillars to live by, Um, but know who is your audience and who isn't, and don't go out widely to everyone when that's not appropriate.
2: Our friend Marcus down in Texas asks, Joanne, what are some of the tools that orgs are using to help employees talk to leadership to be in touch? Uh, Aside from email, you'd mentioned Facebook groups. Are there others that you like?
3: Great question. I'm glad you asked that. Yes, Um, messaging tools are really helpful during this time. Slack and Shanty. Um, There's one called Matters Most that has a higher privacy filter if that's important in your organization. Uh, Zoom, obviously, has probably never been busier or more popular. Um, The telephone, the good old-fashioned telephone, is just a nice way to connect with people. Uh, Your intranet site, if you have one, is great. Uh, Any kinds of tools like that can really help facilitate communication within your organization and among people.
2: We are almost up at the top of the hour. Are you okay for time? We have a lot more questions. We're not going to be able to get to them all just because we got 30 questions in the queue, gang. But can we borrow another five minutes of your time? Would that be all right?
3: We have a hard stop at three. I'm sorry. Okay. All right. Then
2: I tell you what. uh, Joanne has shared her email, uh, and we will post it into the chat so you can follow up with her. You can also find I was I I posted we posted in the. invitation, her Twitter, which is at Libsy L-I-B-S-Y. So if you tweet at her, she may be a little busy just this minute, but I, I, I can I make this promise on your behalf? You, She will get back in touch with you.
3: Absolutely. I'd be delighted to connect, and either on Twitter or LinkedIn or by email, joanne.crell at defycommunications.com and i happy to be helpful wherever I can be. And I really appreciate the time and opportunity to talk about leadership communications with you.
2: And just on behalf of everybody, joining, we had 500 folks in the room and probably a few folks got locked out. So I'm sorry about that. But on behalf of everybody, you are amazing. Thank you so much. This has been incredibly helpful. To everybody else, uh, come back and join us on Friday. George Strait, the former chief medical correspondent or health correspondent at ABC News, will be with us to talk about how we can consume media in the next couple of days. Uh, we'll be back. Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern. So I hope you all can join us. Uh, we will be making a recording of this available. Uh, and any links, we'll share those on comnetwork.org. Again, Joanne, thank you so much. You've done a lot of good for a lot of people. We're all grateful. And of course, at the network, we're all grateful to all of you out there in the community for the good work you're doing. Hang in there if you will. Gang. Uh, and again, to our friends in Detroit, just our deepest sympathies to you, uh, with the loss of uh, Mr. Stoudemire. That's... Uh, just a really tough one to hear and unfortunately probably an indication of the kinds of things that are coming our way in the days to come. But we can get through this together and we will. There is going to be another side to this. So uh, thanks, everybody. Be well and we'll be back with you Friday afternoon. Joanne, thank you again, my friend.
3: Be well. Bye-bye.
0: And we are back, having had the chance to listen in on Joanne Krell's uh, piece with the Communications Network. Mr. Brown, take us through it. What do you think?
1: Well, you know, there, there was one thing that really struck me that stood out this understanding about how you need to communicate internally and work with your own team and your own organization. and She said that, that the most important thing at a time like this was trust, compassion, stability, and hope. And mm-hmm. I just took that to heart. I, I really believe that. I've, As you know, I've been working with the San Francisco Foundation, running their communications shop as an interim for the last almost year. And these are the things that we hear more, more than anything, is that people feel the need to connect internally, that you have to really take care of your team as, as people and your organization so that we can support each other. This is just, you know, no one is, this is dark side of the moon time, right? We've never seen this before. Yeah. And, and making those basic really close connections are, are really important. It's not, a, and she said, this is not a time to build your brand. I totally get that. This is a time yeah. to connect authentically with the people who need you. And I took that away from it. It's really good. Joanne is terrific. The work that the Communications Network is doing to get information out is really important. And we'll just continue to put stuff up like this as we hear it. We'll be reposting other people's content if they let us, um, and just sharing information among ourselves as a community. And I think that's all that any of us can do right now. You really need to, you know. I feel the need to do something, but I also feel the need to listen and connect.
0: And if you ever had any doubt that we're all in this together, let there be no doubt right now, yeah. right? Everybody is in this in one way or another. And uh, what great touchstones. It's funny, you know, Eric, I don't think we've ever heard anybody in our podcast say that we do too much communication <laughs> in any context. And I, it makes me think this is certainly not a moment to be shy, right? Like this is a time to be over communicating from that place of those principles and and what an asset that can be both internally and externally if you're able to do that, right? Yeah.
1: Oh, and one more thing that I think is important, which is that uh, our podcast, we have other actual things that are not related to COVID content that I, I actually think is useful too, that in the moments when you're not dealing with the crisis, we're also still learning and connecting. So we'll be putting up other content. It, it is just meant yes. to be for folks who need a break from that other stuff who also need to connect with what they do or how they, they pursue their craft. So that will be available too. And I hope people see that for what it is, which is just part of what we do as communicators and the, how we learn and how we teach each other. So we'll, we'll keep putting up some of the interviews that we have had, that we have in the can that, uh, that we right. think are worth listening to as well.
0: That's right. We'll keep going. Well, Eric, thank you for doing this communications network. Thank you for sharing your content. And Joanne Carell, thank you so much for your generosity in in giving us all this. So thanks everybody for joining us. That's Let's Hear It. All right. We'll see you next time. And that's it for this episode. Please let us know if you have any thoughts about what you heard today or people we should have on the show. And that includes yourself we'd like to thank
1: Maggie Brown, our intrepid production coordinator,
0: John Ali, the tuneful and inspiring composer of our theme music.
1: We'd also like to thank our sponsors, the communications network, the Lumina foundation and the Heinz endowments.
0: Thank you. Thank you. And check out the Heinz endowment, their terrific podcast. We can be that's hosted by Grant Oliphant and you can find it at Heinz.org slash podcast.
1: We would certainly like to thank today's guest and of course, all of you. And thank you, Mr. Brown?
0: <laughs> no, no. Thank <laughs> you, Mr. Brown.
1: Till next time.
0: Let's hear it.